This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. What will you choose? No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Real EFL League One podcast, the podcast where we take a look at all the wonderful action that England's third tier has to offer each weekend. We are back in action after an eventful FA Cup second round and there were some huge results with big repercussions at both ends of the table. And there's loads to get through in this one, so let's not waste any more time. I'm your host, Adam Scully, and I hope you all enjoy the following episode. If you do, please leave us a five-star rating on the podcast platform of your choice. We really want to grow to become the number one podcast for League One and League Two. So it would be much appreciated if you could drop us a nice little five-star score to help us grow. Now, without further ado, let's get into the action. And of course, I won't be on my own to delve through all the weekend's events. I'm joined today by a man who will be happy enough with the result from his side this weekend. It's Charlie Beeston. Charlie, how are you? I am very well, thank you. Yeah, nil-nil draw for uh, for us up away at Wigan. I'm happy enough with that. But I really wasn't happy travelling in the conditions of yesterday. God, some of the rain and wind that there was at grounds up and down the country yesterday. It was horrendous. I just did the lead, the Real EFL League 2 podcast as well. Go check that out if you haven't either. Just a cheeky little plug there. Got to get it in. Um, but we only had... We only had seven games to talk about. There was five matches called off because of the weather yesterday, yeah. and I'm not surprised at all. Yeah. What was the what, what was the trip like down? I mean, not the weather, obviously, but how did you get down to get the trainer? I, end, I ended up getting a coach and on the supports Ooh. coach, and thank God, because the trains, uh, Lincoln fans went on the train, didn't end up getting back to Lincoln last night. They got as far as Nottingham or Sheffield before then getting taxis. The train service was in the mud yesterday. Theory me. And I'm also joined today by someone who actually, the last time we were on this podcast, Charlie, I think Lincoln City got a draw and Ivan, uh, Caroline and I <laughs> yeah. lost. So again, Ivan, how are you? <laughs> yeah, um, could be a bit better. Luckily, I wasn't, I didn't travel up to the game um, yesterday. Um, at Blackpool, a good side, but I think the only positive that we can take is no one in the bottom five or six won. So, um there is, a, there is at least that, but yeah, I think we're going to need a big January overhaul at the minute, or it could get quite interesting towards the end of the season. It was actually quite a... I, I think there was only just one team picked up one point in the bottom six, which is... It's Cheltenham. A, yeah, yeah, it was Cheltenham Town and a 1-1 draw. Well, was it, was it Port Vale that were the only side in the bottom half that got yeah, a win? Yeah, got a win, yeah. Yeah, it was... It, it was I don't, I'm not sure if it was the bottom half or it was at least like the bottom nine. I think they yeah. were like the only team that got a win. It was absolutely unbelievable. It was just mind-blowing. I mean, I suppose it, there could be worse weeks for your team to lose considering everyone else did too. Mm-hmm. There's always a silver lining. But there is a game on Monday night. And of course, this podcast is being recorded on a Sunday night. So we're not going to... You know, 
we're not going to be able to talk about the Portland and Bolton game. There's no point of us in predicting it either because by the time the podcast comes out, the game will be on in a few hours and then we'll look stupid if we get it wrong. So we're going to save ourselves the embarrassment and just not discuss the game. But I hope it's a good game because it's an absolute thriller on paper. But Charlie, I'll throw to you first for the first game we're going to talk about and that is Peterborough United 3, Oxford United nil, and Posh's superb run of form continues. And not just their superb run of form, they're unbelievable and potent goal-scoring run that they're on. I mean, they are the... the I don't want to say the league's entertainers because I feel like the league's entertainers doesn't just matter with... It doesn't just take into consideration how many goals a team scores. But they are the top goal scorers in the league. They have scored 40 in half the games. I mean, the conditions of the match yesterday were rough. But they still scored some nice goals all the same. What did you make of their performance? Look, I think uh, Keelan, one of our co-hosts <laughs> on The Real AFL, he is going to probably quite like me in a minute. Um, and I know you'll be listening, Keelan, so don't worry. I am going to be really positive about Peterborough. I think coming into the game, you know, Peterborough came into this game hoping to carry on, like you say, their run of form. They'd only see them lose only once in their last 13 league matches. Whilst Oxford were hoping to get their promotion push back on track with what would have could would have been a first league win for Des Buckingham. Mm. However, it was the home side who obviously started stronger as Beadle saved an outside of the box effort only for him to be able to or unable to beat Harrison Burrows to the loose ball, who knocked it back to Kipriano, who had an open goal, and there was absolutely no chance he was missing. Like that goal for me, it just shows exactly why Peterborough is scoring so much. Mm. They're not just afraid to hit the ball from distance, which is what happened in the first instance, you know, 25, 30 yards out, and the ball gets struck at the opposition goal. But the players then would also all be rushing straight into the box for any loose ball. There was no Oxford defenders that reacted anywhere near as quickly as the Peterborough attackers. I think that just shows perfectly why, you know, they have scored two goals per game so far this season. They then doubled their lead 10 minutes later as an over-the-top ball from Mason Clark, uh, found Mason Clark, who used his body and vision to then find an on-running Ricky J. Jones, who rounded Beadle and slotted the ball How quick away. is Ricky J. Jones, by the way? Oh, absolutely incredible. <laughs> and and the sort of physicality that uh, yeah. Mason Clark, and like I said, the pass as well, then to find Ricky J. Jones, who, like I said, oh, God, the pace was absolutely incredible. He is a player I am very, very jealous that uh, we don't have at Lincoln. Uh, then, you know, realistically, the half-time whistle couldn't come soon enough for Oxford as they failed to register a single shot before the break with Posh registering 2.62 XG in that same space of time. It was a demolition job from the first minute. The second half came and it was not as lively as the first, but Oxford did have a few more chances. However, nothing substantial really happened until the 92nd minute, where the ball was found out wide and Adjaboye found De Havilland in the middle of the box, who hit the ball into the corner of the net, wrapping up a 3-0 victory. Like I say, I think overall, uh, you know, some people are for XG, some people are against it, and for it, I'm going to mention it. XG Peterborough yesterday, 2.84 to Oxford, 0.31. Like I said, they absolutely were good value for a 3-0 victory. Oxford just didn't seem to have any answers for Peterborough. They played a high line early on and they were caught out on far too many occasions by Peterborough. And like I say, was just simply unstoppable. And it just shows the ruthlessness that they seem to have in front of goal at the minute. I feel like I've, I've fully 
lost the plot a little bit, but I mean, do you think people United could make a title charge? I mean, I, I know it's so so silly, and Ivan's gonna. I know he's cringing in his seat there, but could they? In theory, I mean, they are scoring goals for fun at the moment. Everybody is playing unbelievably well, even in conditions like at you know they, they mm. that they played in on Saturday. That that pitch was. A mess. It looked like a pitch from the 1960s, respectfully. I know the weather, obviously, but they still played so well, aren't they? I, I, I don't think you've lost the plot at all. I've got to be honest. I am actually very much agreeing with you, and I don't like saying that. I've got to be honest, but I, <laughs> I think they've got a really, really good chance. I think, obviously, we'll know a lot more, let's say, by the end of January specifically, because you just look at some of the teams they're facing in this kind of run of games. Fleetwood, Shrewsbury, Reading, Barnsley, Derby, Northampton, Charlton, Shrewsbury, and of course the mighty Lincoln City that they're facing between now and the end of January. There's such a mix of teams there that you would expect them to maybe have tougher games, for example, against the likes of Barnsley, Derby, and then teams where you would expect them Mm. to win, not just think that they'll win, but expect them to win against the likes of Shrewsbury, Fleetwood as well. You know, like I said, they play Shrewsbury twice. If they're able to pick up or have the same run of form that they've had recently against this kind of wide plethora of teams by the end of January, and they're still only, let's say, a couple of points behind the leaders, then I think they've got an absolutely great chance of being in with a title charge this season. Well, I mean, tomorrow's game, well, it, it, it will be, I'd imagine, today's game when this podcast go out, goes out. That would, I mean, they'll be licking their lips at that because somebody... Mm will drop points, whether it be both sides or one of them will drop points. So if, if you're Peter United or even Stephen, I know, I know by the end of the season, I feel like Stephen will still be there. We'll get onto that now shortly. But if I'm a Peter United fan, I'd be licking my lips at that fixture. I mean, again, as I said, somebody's dropping points and you look good and you're on an unbelievable run of form. But mm-hmm. on the flip side, Oxford United, not so good. They they beat Grimsby Town in the FA Cup. They beat Forest Green Rovers, I believe, in the EFL Trophy on Tuesday, I think it was. I think it was 1-0. And they face Reading, I believe, next away from home. Their 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 victories in the in the knockout competitions have kind of sandwiched. Or, or, or sorry, we're, we're, we're sandwiched between some poor runs mm. of form in the league. Do you think this was inevitable when Manning left? Do you think Oxford United are now kind of you know, resorting to their means again of, of where they actually stand in a League One table and their quality. I think I think it's fair to say that Oxford were overperforming in the first sort of 15 games of this season. I don't really think anybody had them as a title challenger, for example. Mm. They, they were kind of thrust into that position. But a lot of people had Portsmouth and Bolton, for example, to be up there. And now you're just looking at the table and it's just starting to work itself out and you know, our, all of our preseason predictions are starting to look less silly because it, you know it is just starting to get back to the position where we expect. And I think Oxford kind of having this decline. Okay, yes, it's a really sharp decline at the minute. Like you say, they've they've had a few games where they've been really poor in the league. But you know, obviously, yesterday really really symbolised how poor they have been in recent weeks, losing to Cheltenham as well. Obviously, and, you know, a draw to Bolton, which okay, a draw not the greatest, but it is. Bolton side who are very much on the up at the minute. I think if those games were a little bit more stretched out, it wasn't just in this immediate run, 
then we wouldn't really even be having the conversation yeah. because we'd be saying, okay, well, we're just going back to what was expected, the status quo. But I think the fact that it's just this sudden run as soon as obviously a new manager has come in as well, mm. there's suddenly these big questions being asked over Oxford. And really, we're asking, was Liam Manning that key, the key to the lock at Oxford? And can Des Buckingham become that? Or is he going to really struggle with this side and potentially not even see the playoffs this season? I feel like it's a little bit like the situation with John Eustace and Wayne Rooney. And, and and before people say I'm talking nonsense, let me explain. John Eustace left, of course, he was dismissed. So it was different. Lee Manning left because he, mm-hmm. he got an upgrade in a job, if we want to say. But it was, well, I think it was the end of September, early October when John Eustace left mm-hmm. and Rooney took over. And people were, are acting as if Birmingham City would have gone on a, a title charge. I think they would have regressed to their means. And I think yeah. we're seeing under a different manager. And you probably would have seen the same under Liam Manning had he stuck about. I think yeah. he just kind of stayed. Or he left at the perfect time because it looks like he smashed it, which he did, granted. I'm not taking anything away from Liam Manning. But I think it looks like he did an unbelievable job. And now he's left and they've crumbled. I just think they're regressing to their means, which is normal for the, the quality of player, considering... Peterborough United are picking up or, or, or on an unbelievable run of form, and you you have yeah. Derby County as well, who are the informed team in the league at the moment in the, over the last five matches. So, anyway, we've 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 spent enough time on the on Posh and Oxford United. Ivan, over to you. Blackpool three, Carlisle United nil. Blackpool. Speaking of teams that kind of started a bit slowly there was a period I think around September October where didn't they draw like six games or did they didn't score in like six games or something crazy um, but they've been on a decent run of form lately and I believe they they yes they are now three points behind sixth place I've been talking about this game and what went wrong for Carolina United before we speak about Blackpool yeah um, I think Paul Simpson, in his post-match interview, put it perfectly. He said that there was a golfing class between the two sides. And it was pretty evident, I think, the way that um, Blackpool, or Blackpool's current form compared to Carlisle's, two completely different um, completely different things. And to, to be brutally honest, they were just way too good. Just way too good for us. And never let us in the game. Um, that being said, I do think, once again, we were incredibly poor. I don't think we had a shot... Um, in the first 70 minutes. Mm. Um, and it, yeah, failed to score for the 10th game this season. I think it's, um, it's fairly obvious where, well, I was going to say it's fairly obvious where the, the problems lie, uh, lie at Carlisle at the minute, but I think it's all over the pitch. Um, but goal scoring has been our, um, one of our main problems. I'll get onto that in a sec. But I think the other, one of the other key problems is goalkeeping. And, there was yet another mistake from um, Thomas Holy in um, in the Carlisle net this week. I I personally like Holy. I think as he get a lot of fans give him a bit too much stick, but I've, he, this year he's really not been very good. And if you I don't know if, if you've seen the first goal, but the way he, he comes, he's six foot seven. Bear in mind, yeah. and he, he, you'd expect him to command his area. And he's came out. I don't know if even if he's got like the slightest of touches on a punch or if he's even got anything. And he's just given Andy Lyons um, a free chance, uh, well, just a shot, a free net. He's taken it well, to be fair to him. It's a great finish by Lyons. And Lyons is actually a, really a smashing player. I, I remember when he was with Shamrock Rovers. I loved him. I thought he was a phenomenal player. And seeing him again there with the 
the goal. It was a wonderful finish, but yeah, you, I agree with you. I've no idea what the goalkeeper, what, what Thomas Holt yeah. is doing. That, that that's probably one of our biggest problems. It's all these silly little mistakes that are starting to amount up. Um, but to be fair, like Blackpool should have probably had a few more, um, mm. but they did. Then in the second half, extend their leads through Jordan Rhodes. Um, don't know how much he knew about it, but it was a it was a good tap in. Um, and then yeah, we we had the opportunity to pull one back. Alfie McCalmer gets a great ball in from Jack Armour for about five or six yards out, and he's blazed over over the bar, which I think just sums up our goal scoring form this season. Um, it's two one. If it if it went to two one, I think we could have got back in it potentially, um, especially as it's a packed out away end. You thought the fans could have boosted the players, but I think we almost last 10, 15 minutes will just try to get a goal and attack so much. That left us open for um, Blackpool to score, score a third in the 94th minute through Jordan Rhodes yet again. I think that's his 13th of the season. It on is. Loan from yeah. um, Huddersfield, yeah. Huddersfield, and he's absolutely flying. But mm. it, was, it was one of the most Carlisle, Carlisle goals to concede, I'd say. I think John Mellish lost his man. Ben Barkley gets beaten and then does an awful back pass to Holy. He parries the first shot straight out to Rhodes. And yeah, I mean, a guy a guy like Jordan Rhodes isn't going to miss in the vein of form that he's in currently. Um, yeah, I, Blackpool look very good. We don't. It's four losses and one draw now in Carlisle United's last five matches. I think there was a I want to say a fortnight ago, it'll be close to a fortnight when this podcast comes out. Carlisle United lost 5 1 away to Reading. Yeah, don't remind me of that one. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 didn't, I didn't want it, but it was in my notes. And then, of course, there was the defeat there on Saturday against Blackpool. And next up is a team who are in an unbelievable run of form, who also are a newly promoted side from last season, Northampton Town, who are one of my favourite sides this season from a neutral point of view. And again, I say this all the time in the podcast, I don't have a horse in any in a race in League One. So I have no bias. I think Northampton Town are a fantastic side. John Brady's done an unbelievable job, but now Carolina United have to face them next. And considering both teams were promoted last season, the quality level is, is night and day. And it's not just, and again, I, I don't mean to pile on your misery, Ivan, but it's the fact that <laughs> Carolina United now have only scored 15 goals in, in, in 20 matches. And they've also conceded 33, though, which is the second worst in the league behind Fleetwood Town, who were, that we you know, awful late or yesterday, I want to say. Yeah. But, I mean, it's just not a good record. One of the lowest goals scored in League One, one of the, the teams who have conceded, or conceded the most, it's just... It's not great. Do you think, I mean, look, I've said this before on the podcast as well. I really like Paul Simpson. I've interviewed him before. He's a lovely man. And I think he's a great coach as well. He has has experience coaching in the Premier League too at Newcastle United, among other clubs. Do you, what do you think about his future? Do you think, do you think that the, the new, the new owners will stick with him up until January and then give him the money? Do you think he's the reason you're struggling or is it the lack of quality with the players? Um, I think there's been a lot of speculation in the last, well, I say the last day or so, because mm. in um, in his post-match interview, Simo like criticised the fans quite heavily. I think it got a bit hostile after the game, um, which I don't, I don't think I can understand why. I mean, I can understand why the fans would maybe be targeting it at the players, but I don't understand it, Simo, at all. I think 
a lot of a lot of people have got such short-term memories like 15 months ago it looked like we'd most likely be playing in the national league mm. and we're now in now in league one i don't i don't think it's on him he's made one or two maybe questionable lineup choices but then again it's just like the players he's got to pick from i looked at our team yesterday you've got um joe garner Dylan McGeoch uh, and then Sam Lavelle, who are the only players who've got over about 40 appearances in League One. It's just like we've got no one there that's proven at that level. Um, and in regard to, do I reckon the new owners will stick with him? I do, just because I think I think they've realised just how much of an impact he has had on the club. Um, and I, I just can't see whoever whoever comes in. I can't see them doing any better with the current squad. I agree, actually. I agree with that. I don't think anyone will do a better job with this squad. I think Paul Simpson, even the fact that you're not rock bottom or, or, or mm. second, the toe bottom is probably, or sorry, um, second or, 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 or bottom is probably telling on how good of a job he's done. I just don't think the players are great. And I hope he gets the players he needs in January to try and and and, and take Carlisle out of the relegation zone, but onto a manager who won't be given the opportunity to turn his side recent form around Dino Mamria is gone. Dino Mamria is gone. I quite like Dino. I thought he was a, a decent coach. Of course, he was the assistant manager to Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank when Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank was at Burton Albion. And at one stage, I remember writing for a, a different publication. At one stage, Burton Albion were the most informed team in the Premier League, more informed than Manchester City or Liverpool. I can't remember who won. I can't remember who won the championship that season. Was it? It was 2021, 2022. Who won the championship that season? Uh, Fulham. They did, actually. That is correct. Yes. It might have been the season before, though, so I'm going to just... Anyway. Uh, Right, so I don't pull out Fulham out out the hat, and then you go ahead and tell me that it's the season before. When I I heard you say Fulham, I thought, no, it was the season before. But anyway... (laughs) They did a really good job. <laughs> Dino did a really good job uh, taking over from Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. Apparently, the, I believe I, I read an article that might have been the BBC or the, the Athletics said that he insisted he got the job when Hasselbank left. And he did a decent job and he took them out of the relegation zone. They went on a nice run of form and now they have they, they struggle at the start of the season. And then they went on a decent run of form and were winning a couple of games and they got some big, big results got up to about mid-table or teetering with mid-table. And now in recent weeks, they've just fallen once more and they're in a, a horrible vein of form at the moment. They've been four straight defeats in League One. Their last win was at home against Bristol Rovers on the 21st of October. It's not great. They're also out of the FA Cup at the hands of Port Vale, who are, you know... Two points above them in the league, but a similarly a similar level, I suppose, in terms of the quality of players. And they face Oxford United away from home on Saturday, guys. Well, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll talk. I'll talk the listeners through the game first. Of course, Joe Powell got a penalty, and he did miss it. Also, I thought you weren't allowed to store when you take a penalty. I thought that did they do away with that rule. I, th- I think it's one of those where as long as you don't physically stop just... Be- it's one of those where I don't think it's ever actually going to get policed, is it? Yeah. 
Clearly not, because he—I mean—he misses it anyway. I'm just—I'm no. just, just, I'm just putting the point out there. But anyway, Deji Arshalaja, he scores from the penalty miss. He scores the rebound and goes in. It's one nil. Mm-hmm. And then Kane Hemmings against his former club, one minute into at a time in the fourth half, equalises for Stevenage. And then Jamie Reid scores from the penalty spot. He is—he is now the the second. Uh, highest goal scorer in League One. Only I believe Alfie May is second. Is that right? Or am I? Have I got my numbers mixed up? Yeah, it's Alfie, Alfie May. Alfie top, and then I think Reed. Is it Reed and Rhodes? They. It is. Yeah, second. it's it's Reed and Rhodes. Then, I mean, Jamie Reed is on on an unbelievable run of form. The stats in the game. I mean, Burton Albion had fifty one percent of the ball to Stephen just forty nine. It. <sighs> I mean, Burton Albion, they had five shots on target to Stephen and just four. They could have got something out of it, but the quality of chances was awful. Burton Albion had eight shots with an XG of 1.43. Stevenage had 14 shots with an XG of 2.81. Like, it just, it, they just don't create enough good chances, Burton Albion. And I watched them so many times, and I don't remember the game. I watched them recently. Well, I say recently, I think it was back in September or October. They played really well, but I believe they won as well in that in the game. They just they just didn't create many opportunities, and it's frustrating to watch because they're not good opportunities. You know what I mean? But anyway, guys, I'll come to you on it. I don't really like discussing managerial sackings because it's always a sad time. And Dino is a nice guy, and he was well liked by the fans and clearly the players. He did say in his post match interview that he's. He's done the best he could. It was quite a damning post-match interview where he said, if this is to be my last game, my last interview, I want to thank everyone, thank the fans. But I've done the best that I could with what I was given. Charlie, what did you make of those comments? And do you think he's... Do you think it was a swipe at the board? Or do you think he was just being honest that the quality of players isn't great? Well, I think, I think first of all, you know, if we, if we are talking about the board and, and the club as a whole... It was a pretty short statement that they uh, that they sent out, stay, saying that he had obviously been relieved of his duties. There was no kind of thanking him as a manager or anything like that. And that may be in response, like you say, to those comments that he actually made in his post match press conference. Look, I think Burton are obviously going to want to have been higher than where they currently are this season. But I don't think we can kid ourselves and say that they even they would have thought that they'd be top ten or anything like that because yeah. they wouldn't be. Realistically, Burton's season has kind of so far been split into three different sections. A, a run of seven games, a run of seven games, and then a run of currently a run of six games that could very much turn into seven with Oxford. The first seven games without a win. The middle seven games, they went unbeaten. Then the, the most recent six games, they haven't had a win. They just, they, they seem to get consistency for a very short period of time. And then it all, obviously, unfortunately, fought, fell apart. And I think this is kind of the thing with Burton, and it's the thing with Burton's squad. Burton have a really good squad of players to play a certain way. The likes of, for example, Sam Hughes at the back, player who I really, really rate, I've got to be honest, and he always seems to score against Lincoln. So that's probably why I uh, why I actually think that he is a good player. But somebody like that, the physicality that they've got in the squad is absolutely fantastic in well, you don't expect it, you know, in conditions, for example, like yesterday. But obviously it just hasn't worked out. And they've not been able to get these kind of fighting victories on a consistent basis, apart from that kind of middle run of games that they had. 
But the fact that, you know, they are dropping points, obviously, yes, okay, to Stevenage, Portsmouth and Peterborough most recently and Northampton, we could even include in that because for the record, Adam, I very much agree with you and say that Northampton are actually one of one of my favourite sides so far this mm. season. I thought they were, br- they've been brilliant. But, okay, they've had this really kind of tough run of games. They've got Oxford, Charlton, Blackpool coming up. Was this really the right time to get rid of a manager when they're in such a tough run of games? Are they expecting some new manager bounce into the Christmas period or coming out of the Christmas period? I'm just struggling to see what the kind of idea was behind moving Dino on. I feel like, like I say, actually, I don't think anybody else could have done too much better with Burton Albion's squad at the minute. And I think that maybe they've acted a little bit too harshly, even mm. though they've definitely not been up to scratch. Like he actually said in his post-match interview, how much of that can really be pinned onto him? Yeah, and Ivan as well. I mean, he did an interview recently. I think it was his pre-match press conference last week. He kind of, he had a dig at a fan, I want to say. When it was a fan, a fan put something on social media saying that I think it was him and Cole Stockton had a bit of a disagreement after the game. The fan just said what he saw on the pitch. He just said, I, I was just there and I saw this after the game. Dino came out in his, his pre-match press conference ahead of the next match saying that these people don't represent them. They're not true fans. And he's, you know, he was given all this and it was a very animated interview or, or press conference. Do you think the writing was on the wall in terms of, did he look like he was, did he look like he was under pressure a little bit? I mean, do you think he could feel it, especially in his, in, in his interviews? Do you think, I mean, are you surprised that he's been dismissed? Um, well, I, I thought the sacking was a tiny bit harsh. I think mm. given the fact, like um, like Charlie mentioned, they've played Portsmouth, Peterborough and Stevenage the last three games in, in League One. Plus they beat Wrexham in the EFL Trophy. I know yeah. it's not a competition that matters loads, but it's. I think, I've, I think they've sacked him at a, quite a bad time, although he's on an awful run. I, the thing that interests me is, like you said, I think there must be something going on behind the scenes, a problem with the board. Um, I think the the message that, or the, yeah, the message to announce his departure that was on their Burton's website was shocking. I think it was 13 words. And bear in mind, that's the manager that saved them from relegation last season. Um, mm. So I, I, thought, I thought it was a bit harsh, but when you go on a losing run like that, I suppose the writing can be on the wall. Yeah, I do feel sorry for Dino. He, he is a very good coach. And as as Charlie said as well, though, this group of players are suited to play a certain style of football. And they always kind of perform in, in, in bursts of form. So they'll go on a nice run and then they'll go on a terrible one and then a nice run. They've done it for years. They've done it for absolutely years. They did it under Jimmy Ford Hasselbank when Dino was the assistant manager. They'd go on a lengthy run of form and they were the most informed team in England, in all the top four divisions of English football and then they regressed to their means and then they were fighting relegation and then Hasselbank was sacked and then Dino brings them on a nice run of form then we repeat the cycle all over again I don't I have no idea who Borton Albion are going to get I'm not I was going to bring it up on the podcast and ask you for your guys opinions if you have one let me know but I, I, genu- I genuinely have no clue I there's so many managers have already got new jobs this season even even uh, Matt, 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 Matt Taylor, with who was with Rotherham United, of course, was appointed mm-hmm. recently at Bristol Rovers. He's out and running. Maybe like a Gareth Ainsworth, could they even afford him? I feel like he's just destined for Wickham Wanderers. And also, does he want to go from the, the championship to a relegation scrap in League One? Probably not. 
it's a tricky one. But anyway, we've 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 spent enough time talking about it. Charlie, I'll come over to you for a team that like Borton Albion. Well, actually, they've won the same number of games this season as Borton Albion, surprisingly. But anyway, it is Reading one, Barnsley three, and another loss for Reading at home, even though they went one nil up through Harvey Nibs. Oh, where do we start here? Talk to me again, Charlie, about Reading's defense because uh, there were some, some, oh, some moments I, 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 as a football fan, frustrate me to watch. I think, I think before you know the kind of prefix to any discussion on Reading this season is the fact that you know that their squad and the young age that they've got mm-hmm. in their squad and the inexperience they've got, and I think, like you say, it was very much on show yesterday. I mean, Reading came into this on. You know, on the back of back-to-back league victories for the first time since August, with Barnsley only losing one of their last eight. The second biggest scorers in the league, Barnsley, against the team who've conceded the second most in the league, Reading. So this had a Reading 1-0 written all over it? No, never mind. It uh, it did, like you say, went as the stats suggested. However, the Royals did have some early hope, as you said, when Harvey Nibs headed home from close range. But their lead was not as long-lasting as they'd like. In the 39th minute, Binden decided to uh, handle Sam Smith's attempted clearance header. Apparently, it was an attempted clearance header. wasn't very good. And uh, yes, it was handled then in the box by Binden. Herbie Kane then obviously slotted the penalty away and hardly surprising. Then obviously we sort of hit the, the half time mark, but we, you know, I will just say the game was stopped in the first half twice, uh, both for tennis ball protests once again as the fans tried to keep the pressure on Dai Young to sell up. Barnsley then took the lead on the 80th minute mark with an incredible, powerful drive, by the way, from uh, Devante Cole to take his tally to 12 so far this season. I don't know if you've seen the goal, but it was unbelievable, unbelievable. absolutely outstanding. He struggled um, in front of the goal recently. He has he has struggled because mm. he was he went on a really long or a brilliant run of form at the start of the season. Then yeah. he kind of tailed off, which you would expect. But I'm glad he mm. got another goal because yeah, and he's up to 12 now. It was a phenomenal strike. It really was. How he got that much power, Mm. absolutely incredible. Um, And then the game was wrapped up in the, I think it was the 87th minute, when Max Waters turned it across from Fabio Giallo to wrap up the three points like a Christmas present. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I know, that was really poor. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Look, there was, uh, I think... Obviously, Reading are going to be disappointed considering they weren't one up. That, like you said, they were just so just they lacked leadership in yesterday's game to then concede three like they did. Obviously, you you have to give huge credit to Barnsley as well. They're, they're really showing some great character to sort of be able to come down, come away from sort of one nil down, and then get three goals. Um, Reading could only muster up zero point five xg to mm. Barnsley's one point nine. Three, I have written down. So, look, Barnsley, okay, maybe they've slightly overscored that, but yet they still look very, very good value for the victory. And when Devante Cole scoring from his shot, which probably would have only gone down as something like a 0.05 XG, considering the distance, um, it's really, really impressive for Barnsley. Really poor for Reading. Uh, they're obviously going to be very disappointed not to have been able to get another victory after you know 
people were starting to think that they'd maybe try to turn some of their form around. I know they're a young side, and every time I talk about Reading, we almost use it as a disclaimer and say, this team's really young and they're going to make mistakes. Mm. But genuinely, genuinely, when I watch them, I get frustrated. They they need to be smarter. Yeah. They have to be smarter. That fourth yeah. goal they conceded, was or was it the fourth goal from, from the penalty anyway that the referee gets yeah. the penalty? The ball is bobbling at the edge of the box. Femi Aziz is right at the edge of that box and he doesn't bother going for that <laughs> ball. He needs to go and close that ball down because otherwise the cross doesn't come back in then. That cross doesn't come back in, the referee doesn't mm. give a penalty. And he stands there and he's looking at the ball and he's only a couple of yards away from it. And he's just standing there. And I'm watching yeah. it going, you, you need to be smart. Someone needs to tell him to go there. And I understand they're a young side. But it's times like this where you need some of those younger lads to step step up and, and you know, without using kind of a an old saying, they need to step up and be men. They need to start yeah. showing some responsibility and some, some, some pro- professionalism on the pitch. You can't just say, oh, look, oh, but we're so young. Get over it. Some of you have played professional football for a while, for a couple of seasons now. You know what I mean? Like they, they, they have to be smarter than this. Or Reading are going down. And even statistically, it's not good enough. 59% possession, as you would expect from a Ruben Seller side. He wants to have the ball fine. They had 13 shots. XG, as you said, of 0.5. That's awful. Mm. That's genuinely awful. Yeah. You, like the set piece they scored from, they got a stroke of luck. It was you know good ball in, but it was a stroke of luck from the set piece. And they ended up scoring. The rest of the chances, the quality isn't good enough. If your centre forwards are consistently getting shots that average, say, 0.02 xG or 0.0 even 5 xG, and and respectfully, they're League One quality players. You're not talking about Messi Ronaldo here who can took away chances like that. You're talking about Harvey Nibs. You know, again, I, and I don't yeah, mean to be yeah. insulting here. You have to create better opportunities. I look at Posh. Posh had an XG like three. Of course they're going to score. Yeah. They've great players who are, you know, decent in front of goal and they're creating lots of chances. Obviously, you see, what, like, it, what it tells me is there's just really poor decision-making. Yeah. Obviously, th- there can be a lot that's put down to obviously Ruben Sellers and, and are they set up mm. strong enough tactically to be able to kind of allow the players to create top-level opportunities? Is this an issue that can be fixed on the training ground? Or is this kind of a, a mental block, if you like, that some of these players seem to have, that they're just making the wrong decisions, they're, they're taking silly chances from distance, or they're just putting just, just shooting from silly areas, whether that's even in the box, you've got two players in front of you ready to block it. There just seems to be a total breakdown of any kind of tactical knowledge as soon as they get into the final third. It's like they don't seem to know what to do with it. And then when they're in the defensive third, as you've said, they also don't seem to know what to do with it. I mean, the middle of the part, they may be all right, but it doesn't matter if you can't do the defensive third and the attacking third. There just seems to be, because I don't, like you say, they are, they have got some really good League One players, I think. I think Harvey Nibs is, a, is an outstanding player. I think Femi Aziz could also be absolutely outstanding mm-hmm. in League One if he was in the right team and the right tactical setup at the minute. I just don't know whether it's, uh, a, like I say, a tactical issue that could be fixed on the training ground, maybe even under a new manager, let's say, or whether it's uh, just some kind of a mental block that these players seem to be having that actually just can't be changed with a change of style. 
I, it's, it's, I'm racking my brain here, and I hate to think what Reading fans are like about what on earth, what on earth is going to change in the upcoming games. And I because don't, you can't see any change coming. Yeah, and I don't. Again, I, I, I think there's some really good players on there. I mean, I loved mm. watching Charlie Savage when he was a kid. I thought he was a phenomenal player, a really, really good, mm. really good footballer, a great pass, a very composed. I like them. Some of our players are brilliant. As you said, Aziz, I think he's a very good player. But I watch them and I'm so, so frustrated. And the worst co- yeah. the worst description I can give of them is that they play like they're an under-23s team. Mm-hmm. But you're playing in men's football. You have to be more clued on. You have to be smarter. But anyway, I've got a bit feisty tonight. I just, it, it, it gets me. It really, it really does. And I'm not a Reading fan by any stretch of imagination. It's just, it's stupid football. But anyway, Ivan. The new year is now upon us and tis the season for planning your next holiday adventure. Whether you're travelling to Germany for the Euros, France for the Olympics or taking your partner or kids on a much needed break to the Balearic Islands, downloading NordVPN is a must. NordVPN allows you to watch all sporting events, TV shows and films which are not available in your region by switching your location in just a click to one which is showing the content. So if you're away with the family and miss the pain of watching the EFL team you love the most concede in the last minute due to a dodgy refereeing decision, then NordVPN is a service for you. NordVPN also acts as your cyber bodyguard whilst online by protecting your personal data and other sensitive information like card details and passwords from falling into the wrong hands. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash real EFL. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support our podcast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. For just the price of one cup of coffee per month, you can download NordVPN today and use it across six, yes, six different devices, one for the whole family. So a massive thank you to NordVPN for supporting this podcast, and you can too by going to nordvpn.com forward slash real EFL to get a discount. The link is in the description. Away days are great, especially when your striker bags a last-minute winner. But there's nothing quite like playing at home. And do you know what? The same goes for McDonald's. Why not maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery? Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. <laughs> we'll get on to a team now who have been conceding a lot of late goals recently. And I mean, the game on Saturday really took the cake, didn't it? It's Charlton Athletic 2, Cambridge United 2. And that was Neil Harris's first game in the dugout for Cambridge United. And it looked like Charlton were going to cruise to a 2-0 win. Nice and easy. Nice three points to bring them closer to the playoff places. And then what happened, Ivan? It was certainly a... An entertaining game for Harris's first game in charge. You said about Charlton conceding a lot of late goals. Well, they didn't concede just one, but uh, two this time. Um, I, I thought, I thought that it's probably it draws probably a fair result. Um, the Cambridge look a different side to the one under um, Mark Bonner after he got sacked a few mm-hmm. weeks ago. I mean, they who was it? Was it Fleetwood? They hammered four 0 in the FA Cup last weekend. I think they've actually got quite a good team in there. It's just maybe under Harris. I think he showed just how good of a manager he can be at Gillingham. Um, I think if things click, then they could go. They could well. They could go up the table quite quickly. But Charlton, as much as I've just said, it, it probably deserved to be a draw. They're going to really feel as if it was two points dropped rather than one gained. Letting a goal in in. Both the 87th minute and the um, 96th minute is mm. not how you want uh, your Saturday to go. Um, of course, Alfie May was on the score sheet for Charlton. 
he opened up scoring in the second half, um, and his his his, um, his shot just had way too much power for Jack Stevens in the um, Cambridge net, and I think uh, it's, an, it's an understatement. It's an understatement to say that May is one of the best players in the league. His his goal scoring form is well, literally second to none. But, um, yeah, he's a great 15, form. 15 goals yeah. in 18 games. And also, just in all competition, he has 19, which is nuts. 19 goals a season, and it's December. But you just got to think of, where would Charlton be this season if they hadn't signed him? Because it, it, I think it looked very different. Um, but the, um, they then doubled that lead through Ken Campbell. It was a bullet header. But he'll definitely be thanking Corey Blackett-Taylor, who mm. is a player that I'm a massive fan of. I thought when we played them a couple of weeks ago, he looked really good. And I think, apart from May, I think he's had a real standout player in that Charlton squad. Um, and yeah, he, uh, he, he's trickery down the left wing. And they're great ball, just allowed. Still a good header by um, Campbell. But I think, yeah, Blackett-Taylor did all the um, all the work in the build-up. But then, as I mentioned, Cambridge stage was a late comeback with... Um, Gassana had me scoring both of those goals. His first was a well-taken header for a corner before hiring, uh, firing home a penalty in the 96th minute. Um, what did you I make mean, of the penalty incident? Because it I, mm, looked kind of outside, but it also it, it could like plausibly could have been on the line. Yeah, I, I would love to see another angle of yeah. it. I think it's it's such a contentious one. Um, it is right. It is right on the edge of the box. Um, and I think from at least from the camera angle that I've seen, <laughs> I I wouldn't like to be the one making the call, basically. Um, and I think also for it to be in the 96th or 95th, 96th minute, I think Charlton will feel very hard done by. But um, Neil Harris did say after the game, his side probably deserved all three points. So maybe not as hard done by. Um, well, statistically, now, so, so not to cut you off, Ivan, but statistically, yeah, just right. on that point, I mean... I, I see his. I, I can see his argument. I mean, they had they had more shots. They had sixteen shots to Charlton Athletic's ten. The XG they had one point five seven to Charlton Athletic zero point five seven. Literally one hole in the one hole no, the goal in the difference. Like I mean, yeah, they they probably could. They had a couple of corners as well, but they had some really good routines. I thought, you know, some you know going short and there was a ball that slip it inside. There was some really good corner routines. They could have scored. They probably should have scored earlier than when they did. But I mean, ultimately, they got the draw. And just on on just on Charlton Athletic, they are unbeaten in five, but they have two wins in that space of time. And it is the draws that kind of kill you. Ultimately, I mean, you see it all the time. Even the best example I, I remember was uh, was a twenty eighteen ninety in Liverpool against Man City. The draws killed them. I think they lost like one game. It was the draws. It was the draws to the Leicesters and the Man Uniteds that killed them. And in Charlton's case, Ivan, do you think they can... I mean, they burns the away next, which is a tough game. Do you think they can chase down the top six now? Or is it, you know, is the gap... It's nine points. Do you think the gap is too wide? Uh, personally, yes. Now, mm. I think you look at... There's... I was going to say the top six are all far better than them, but Oxford are sixth currently. And no offence to Oxford, but I do think they'll drop down in in well in the coming weeks and months. Um, I just think if you compare them to the all of those that top six, even the top eight, I still don't think they're that in terms of ability. Um, 
that they're that close to it, uh, any of them. And if you get if you get an injury to Alfie May or Corey Beckett Taylor, I think they'll really struggle. So um, yeah, I think it's it's probably going to be mid table this year uh, unless they manage to turn things around. Potentially the January transfer window. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't think they're anything special. I do wonder what Michael Appleton's objectives were when he took the job after Dean Holden was 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 let go because Dean Holden, I mean, the board believed he underperformed the Charlton Athletic, maybe so, but I mean, okay, they've gone up a couple of places, but is it much better? They're still not chasing down the they're still not chasing down the top six. Nine points is a big, big gap when you have people, when you've like Derby County who are on a five game win streak at the moment. A nine point gap is very, very difficult. And you're still dropping points. And your next game then is, you know, you're you're playing Barnsley away where you'll probably drop points and that gap might widen to twelve. And then all of a sudden the rest of your season's just over. You're floating around mid-table in the realm of nothingness. But anyway, Charlie, speaking of two teams that have been on a dreadful run of form, just to lighten the mood a little bit, <laughs> Exeter City nil, Port Vale won. This was going into this game. It was actually the battle of the the was it eleven game winless teams. Mm. Neither side had won since the sixteenth of September, which is <laughs> bizarre. That's literally three months ago almost. And Port Vale prevailed. And Exeter City continue to just free fall from where they were. Talk to me about this one because it was it wasn't the most thrilling game of football, I don't believe. Port Vale maybe weren't particularly wonderful, but it was a big three points. It was. And it was also your game. Um <laughs> That is so silly. It is my game, and I have it down as well. I'm an idiot. <laughs> I just got very confused. I think I, 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 I have watched the highlights of that once. <laughs> I'm such an idiot. Oh my god! I'm so sorry. I just chilled back, drank my, drank my water. I don't even want to edit this out. That's so good. I'm gonna leave that in. I might just tell Gary to leave that in. That's great. Um, it was my. It was my game. <laughs> <laughs> And that's St. James Park, Exeter City, with another loss. Uh, Oliver Arbluster, he, sc- oh, he scored in the 29th minute. Will Ameson was sent off in the fourth minute of stoppage time. It, it was it was really just, a, a, again, Exeter City just poor. That's three losses in their last four games. No win for three months. They have now, I mean, the... the, the the run of form they're on at the moment is is genuinely awful, and I know we actually we had we had Nancy Frost from the Athletic on, and I was asking her about Gary Caldwell and, and Exeter and what will happen. She said it'd be really interesting to see whether they stick or twist with him, you know, because he is clearly very well liked around the club, but they're in free fall, and I genuinely think and 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 and. Ivan, I know Carlisle United are on a terrible run of form, but the fact that you could literally just win a game and be above Exeter at the moment is is bizarre considering how poor the likes of, of Carlisle, Fleetwood, Reading and Cheltenham Town have been. Exeter have actually been dragged into that battle. And the rest of the teams had probably slow starts to the season or poor starts to the season, you want to say. Exeter City were top of the league. Or was a second, they were top two anyway. I think they were top, yeah. Yeah, and it was, it was crazy because... 
this game was between Exeter City and Port Vale was the top two at one stage. Port Vale were second, Exeter City were top, which seems like a lifetime ago, but it was literally like the start of September. And then since then, <laughs> neither of them have won a game of football. Just really, really poor. Port Vale have had some good results in the cup. You know, they've had some good cup runs. They got to the the quarterfinals of the EFL Cup. They beat Borton Albion to get through to the next round of the FA Cup, although they play Stevenage at home on Tuesday in the, the, the replay of that game. They got some, you know, the fans have been treated to, to a couple of nice cup runs, but in terms of the league, it's been it's been absolutely dreadful. Fans were calling for Andy Crosby's head again. Another person we interviewed on this podcast, really, really, uh, an absolute gentleman, a really, really nice guy. I was hoping he managed to turn it around. I really do hope this is the start of Port Vale being able to turn their, their poor form around because it has been disastrous. I mean, they, to be fair, they, they stopped the rot. They've moved up to 17th. And the goal was a bit, it, it was a, it was a bit scrappy. It was a good header from Arbluster to get the three points. But again, Exeter City probably could have scored. They had a couple of opportunities. Port Vale had a couple of opportunities. Just to read out some of the stats to you, it was Exeter City had sixty one percent of the ball. They had twelve shots, but Port Vale also had twelve shots. So with the with sixty one percent of the ball, they both had the exact same amount of shots, which is quite damning. And in terms of the XG, Exeter City had one point two seven XG to Port Vale's one point one four. Gary Caldwell is certainly under pressure now and I mean I don't know who's available I can probably get the job Dino Mamry is now available I mean we spoke with him earlier why not <laughs> it's just not looking good for Extra City and Fleetwood Town are, they just need a win and they go above Extra City and I don't see the rot stopping I really don't I really don't see the rot stopping as I said Port Vale play Stevenage next in the FA Cup but then Exeter play Stevenage next in the league and Stephen had drawn a great run of form at the moment and they're well inside the, the top six and they're pushing for promotion. I can't see Exeter City going to Stevenage and inform Stevenage and getting three points. I really can't, or even one point for that matter. Charlie, over to you though for a game that actually is yours. It's Leighton Orient nil. Derby <laughs> County three. Derby County five wins from five. What a performance and, and, and just what a run of form they've been on because... It was touch and go for a little bit, I feel, with, with Paul Warren and they, they had the, a couple of really poor results and especially the the, mm-hmm. the exit of the crew, Alexander, in the FA Cup was quite damning. Mm-hmm. But I mean, now they're on an unbelievable run of form and they're probably performing as well as we predict predicted them to because we thought they'd finished top two and now they're finally showing what they're capable of. Yeah, absolutely. They're... You know they very much needed this run of form. I think it was it was it Shrewsbury away, I believe, where uh, Conor Hurahan ended up kind of arguing with some of the away mm-hmm. fans that travelled down. And you know they, they he said they are trying their best. It just wasn't really working at the time, but they seem to certainly have it working now. Like I say, they went away to Leighton Orient, a Leighton Orient side who are very much struggling themselves at the minute. They had a good start to the season. I thought they were going to be. And sort of nice and comfortable mid-table. Uh, and although they've not quite been in the same free fall as what Exeter have, they are certainly in a bit of a struggling patch. So I very much expected this game to go one way. However, uh, Theo Archibald had the best early chance as uh, as Cashin was beaten. 
but he sliced it. I don't know if you've seen it on the highlights. He mm. just some for like <laughs> I don't know what he did anyway. But he just he just totally sliced. It's such a shame uh, that Joe Ward then had a free kick, which was just saved by Solbrin in the bottom corner. Really impressive, but he couldn't keep the visitors out for long as Louis Sibley opened the scoring as he uh, as he just ran forward and saw space open up for a shot as Max Bird what a goal by the way really nice goal and mm. I, I want to give huge credit for Max Bird to be taking the defenders away in the way that he did to uh, to sort of kind of help open up some of the space for Louis Sibley I thought that he just should have passed it you know pretty simply the the pass there was was available, but he he went alone and obviously he made the right decision in hindsight because that's the sort of thing that Louis Sibley can do. Better than Jude Bellingham, I think some of their fans uh, said at some points. Um, James Collins then had a golden opportunity that he just put put wide as well. Uh, Some really beautiful passing leading up to Mm -hmm. it. I think it was Mendes Lang that got the sort of cross in for that, but James Collins unfortunately couldn't put that away, which he'll be really, really disappointed in. Although just before half time, the game very much keep well. I, I don't want to say turned on its head because Derby were already winning, but uh, Derby's job was certainly made a lot easier as the referee decided that Brandon Cooper had elbowed Max Bird in the face. Now the uh, the I follow cameras didn't have sort of a, a clear angle on this, did they? Um, and it was and it was sort of off camera, but we we just kind of sat here speaking before we started recording, and we looked around and we managed to find some sort of footage of it. And I, I think we literally all just looked at it, and went, "Yep, blatant." <laughs> There's literally not nothing that sort of yeah yeah. There, there was no there was no argument there really was there. Um, but Mendes Lang then all but secured the three points, went back to Pride Park as he netted in the 47th minute before then getting an assist later on to wrap up a 3-0 victory for Derby County. Like you say, it keeps their immense run of form going. They were playing some really, really nice football for that game as well. I think they're going to be really, really pleased with it. Um and you know, obviously, Leighton Orient they're going to be disappointed. Like I said, they're on a really poor. Run. No wins. Dar- and the last win it, it, was against yeah. who, Ivan? Well, they've uh, their last <laughs> win was against us in the league, yeah, and they was. beat us in the FA Cup as well. So, <laughs> oh, that is uh, Ad- Adam. You are, are you just trying to start an argument with Ivan today? You're just, <laughs> just, just, just bullying him. Just picking on him. I'm sorry, it's terrible. <laughs> Um, but look, when, yeah. when when Derby County can go down to Brisbane Road and you know get two point three xG, you just know that you're not going to be able to get a victory against them. They, you know, they they went there with an attacking game plan. They executed it perfectly. Fourteen shots with ten on target. You don't, you know, it's the total opposite to what we were talking about with Reading, where they just didn't have any kind of decisiveness and couldn't yeah. create high quality chances in the final third. That's exactly what Derby are now able to do. And from, like I say, from uh, Paul Warner, Paul Warren maybe fearing for his job at a certain point only a month or two ago, to now flying high, pushing onto the upper echelons of that table, could they potentially also, like Peterborough, break into those play, uh, those automatic places? Well, Nancy Frost from The Athletic, when she was on with us the first time, she said that she was up in, in Derby. She lives in, in Derbyshire and she <laughs> she said she was at Pride Park and she was talking to the board and the directors and they said no chance would Paul Warren be sacked. And I believe that was either in the aftermath of of being eliminated by Crew Alexandra or 
mm-hmm. it was the fourth game where they drew and it went to a replay. But either way, they said there was no chance. They fully backed the man, and it's 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 obviously it has it, it has borne fruit now. But over to a team as well. Actually, sorry, just before we move on, they're they're out of both cups now, and I think Richie Wellens is under. Mm-hmm. A little bit of pressure, I want to say. Yes. And their next game is away from home on Saturday against Cheltenham Town. And over to you, Ivan, for Cheltenham Town's game. They got a nice point, maybe-ish, kind of, against Bristol Rovers in a game where uh, it was, Matt. I think it was uh, Matt Taylor's first uh, league outing in the dugout for Bristol Rovers. And within 28 minutes... The fans echoed courses of boos around the Memorial Stadium. And then at halftime, the players were also greeted by boos. A very uninspiring first half by Bristol Rovers. Ivan, talking through this game. I think just to start off, I think Cheltenham are the real big winners of the weekend down the bottom. <laughs> I think I alluded to it earlier. They're the only team in the bottom six to pick up a point. It might only be a draw, but a point on the road isn't, isn't that bad. Um, I think Bristol Rovers would have been hoping for a new manager bounce um, with it being Matt Taylor's first well, first home league game in charge. Um, and I think they'll probably be kicking themselves if they did not get all three points, even though they did come from behind. Um, Ch- Cheltenham's goal in the first half potentially did come against the run of play. Um, it's a great work down the right-hand side from George Lloyd. It takes a couple of men on and does really well. To give Will Goodwin a tap in for what will be one of the simplest goals he will mm. ever score. Um, that was Cheltenham's only shot on target in the game. To talk about clinical, um, and they're very fortunate probably that Rovers did not have um, their shooting boots on. Um, they did find the equaliser through Jack Hunt in the 50th minute on his 500th uh, professional appearance, which might have been offside. It looks quite close, but I mean, it got given, so they will not be complaining on that. Uh, but it was a rather lacklustre performance on the half Bristol Rovers, and as you said, booed off at half time. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's not really been a good week for them at all, especially They're... with Joey Barton going a bit mental on yeah. Twitter as well. So, yeah, I think they, they've got a bit of a buffer to the relegation places. I don't think they will end up down there, but I, I don't think they look very inspiring. I just want just on the, off the back of that Joey Barton comment, I actually made just a quip with my a friend of mine that Joey Barton would start a podcast once he went on GB News. Neither of those two things had happened by this point in time. Within forty eight hours, both of those two things came true. <laughs> it is so predictable. Honestly, Joey do better, man. But anyway. Bristol Rovers, they uh, dropped to 13th in the league table. They faced Crew Alexander on Tuesday in the FA Cup replay. They're closer to the bottom four now, Ivan, than they are to the playoff spots. That's not to say that they're going to get relegated by any stretch of imagination, but what's their aims now for the rest of the season? They're in a bit of a situation like Charlton. I think they, I think it's 11 points off of the playoffs, and they've not got I wouldn't say they've got a good enough side to contend for a push to the playoffs. I think probably the thing that they're going to be looking at now is that game against Crew on Tuesday, trying to get an FA Cup run going. I'm not sure. 100% sure who they would face if they win, but nonetheless, it's, it's an opportunity 
to at least give the fans something because mm. I can't see them getting any any higher than mid table. But I also don't think they'll um, they'll go down. I think there's quite a few teams, yeah. Carlisle included, who are a fair bit uh, worse than them at the current moment. Yeah, I don't think def- they definitely won't go down in my eyes. But I just, as I said, I think they're in a bit of a situation like Charlton where it's like we're probably not good enough to push for the top six, and we're probably too good to go down. So you're just stuck in a limbo of the realm of nothing, as I, as I said earlier. But anyway, on to the game at six fields this weekend. And don't worry, Charlie, I got this. <laughs> Northampton Town 3, Fleetwood Town nil. And as I said earlier, Northampton Town are one of my favourite teams, not only to watch, because they aren't the most thrilling side in the world. Don't get me wrong. You're not, you know, they're not, they're not exhilarating to watch, but they're, they're so good at what they do because they attack really well. And they're really efficient in front of the goal, as we said, which is literally the opposite of what Reading are. But they're also really resilient defensively. I mean, they're, they're not easily beaten. I think only twice this season have they lost heavily, and that was the, the Portsmouth game and the Derby County game. And they are two of the better sides in the divisions. So I suppose you can give them a bit of leeway on that front. Overall, though, I mean, I was just so, so impressed them again at the weekend. That's four wins from five games for John Brady's men. Mitch Pinnock uh, scored a brace this first goal coming in the 27th minute and then in the first minute of stoppage time right at the end of the game. Before Sam Hoskins scored from the penalty spot, he is now the joint fourth top goal scorer in League One, level with Barnsley's Devante Cole. Interestingly, 50% of Northampton, Northampton Town's goals this season have been scored by Sam Hoskins, which is I mean, we spoke about Alfie May earlier and Charlton's reliability mm. how much Charlton rely on Alfie May. 50% of all your goals come from one player is absolutely wild. They move up to 12th now and are 10 points off top six and 10 points from the bottom four again. Like Bristol Rovers, they're stuck in that limbo, but Northampton Town will be more than happy to be there because they're a newly promoted side and they've done so, so well. They attack so, so well. On the flip side, though, Fleetwood Town, that's their third straight defeat in League One. They have the worst defensive record in League One as well. And guess what? They face Peterborough United at home on Saturday. <laughs> the best attack versus the best defence. It's not looking good for Fleetwood Town. They are just, just inside the relegation zone. Lucky for them, Exeter are, without swearing, have shit the bed. Oh, I did swear. But they were just <laughs> in absolute free fall at the moment. So, I mean, you, you can be you're st- they're still in with a chance and Lee Johns I think has done a decent job since he took over but they they need to start being harder to break down I was watching the was it the first goal it was the first goal that Mitch Pinnock scored the ball he's standing he's standing in between the fullback and the centre half and he's just in acres of space in absolute acres of space and and, and Sarpong Wiridu is standing there and he doesn't look once mm. Mm. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. I'm thinking to myself, you have to check your shoulder there, man. You have to be a bit smarter than that. I get so angry each week on some of the goals I see in League <laughs> One, but my dearie me, they're so simple. He's standing there, and it's not as if it's like a disguised ball. You can see where that pass is going. Mm-hmm. And the ball's played. Mitch Pinnock, great player, turns, scores. Wonderful goal. Northampton Town march on to a 3-0 win. A lot of work needed on the training ground for Fleetwood Town, if they are to have any chance of even getting a point against Peter Reunited on Saturday. 
Charlie, and over to you now for the Lincoln City game, the game you were at. The Imps managed to get a goalless draw away from home against Wigan Athletic. And actually, what was going into the match, an incredibly even game. I mean, now both sides have picked up 31 points this season, considering Wigan have a, a point mm-hmm. deduction. Both sides yep. have picked up 31 points. Quite even. And you were away from home and you got a draw. Good result. I mean, I'd have taken a point at the start of the day. Of course, I would have done. Um, your, I always do if it's an away game. Um, yeah, this was a game that apparently happened, supposedly. Um, it, was, look, it wasn't the most entertaining of matches in terms of a footballing spectacle, um, you know, for, from both the Lincoln point of view and the Wigan point of view. But I think it was a really fascinating game in terms of how we set up personally uh, as Lincoln, but also actually how Wigan set up as well. I think both sides were really strong, both out of possession and in possession. It just seemed like two really evenly matched teams mm. playing in what was horrendous conditions. That, you know, I've, I've, I've already said that the wind and the rain, I mean, God, my, I, I ended up stepping in a massive puddle outside of the away end. It was awful. Um, it was it was just one of those sort of days where you just, I'll be honest, I actually expected this to be a really open game. Um, I recorded with you know our very own our very own Adam um, the other the other day regarding sort of previewing this match, and I I saw this potentially being something like a two-all draw or something like that, really open game, both sides wanting to attack, sort of them being at home. It wasn't like that, but. It also wasn't this kind of tea, this kind of game of both sides sitting back or anything like that. Yes, okay, there wasn't that many opportunities for either side that were that clear mm. cut, but that was because of the way that the teams were set up. And I think you know, huge credit. I would want to give huge credit there to Wigan for that because I think they set up absolutely perfectly to kind of combat against what Michael Skubal is trying to do at Lincoln City now. There was, however, one major talking point that I'm sure Wigan fans will want me to mention, and that is their disallowed goal. Now, the ball was in the back of the net, but the referee had blown the whistle before the ball was in the back of the net regardless. So even if he decided afterwards that he'd made the wrong decision or whatever, it doesn't matter, the ball was in the back of the net after the whistle was blown, no goal. Now, there was a foul on Lucas Jensen, as the referee saw. I'll be honest, I'm actually a little bit 50-50 of it when I'm watching it back on the replay. I'm not 100% sure if there's a foul in there. Um, you know, I've only really seen the one angle. I couldn't see it from where mm. I was in the stadium, I've got to be honest. Um, so, look, Wigan fans can maybe feel a little bit aggrieved, but I actually think a draw was a fair result on the balance of it. A nil-nil draw was actually probably a fair result as well. Um, I think we can be happy. I think Wigan can be happy. Like you say, I think Wigan have had a really good season so far, considering their sort of eight-point mm-hmm. deduction. Like you said, we'd, we'd have been equal on points before and after the game uh, on Saturday. So I think when we take that into consideration as well, it just makes it an even stronger point away from home for Lincoln City. Mm-hmm. And I think it is also a strong point for Wigan at home, considering that Lincoln are on a bit of an unbeaten run under new manager Michael Skubala. Everyone I've spoken to who was at the game or watched the game, whether they be Wigan, a fan of Wigan, sorry, or or Lincoln City, have said it was quite a grueling watch. And probably the best stat to to sum that up was the fact that Wigan had fifty nine percent of the ball and zero shots on target, and their XG was zero point two two. I also yeah. loved if somebody can, if if anyone wants to just a, to have a bit of a laugh, if you look up the BBC match report. Uh, whoever 
wrote the match report, fully sacked it off. He, like, opening <laughs> line was like, this is a really dull game. And I love that. I thought that full, full respect. He didn't actually describe what happened in the match. Clearly, not very much. <laughs> either way, both sides walk away with a point and will probably be happy enough considering the conditions. And on to the last game of the, the, the game week, Ivan, Wickham Wanderers nil. Shrewsbury Town won. Shrewsbury Town are on a decent run of form. I mean, I know I say this all the time in the podcast, but the, for the first like two, three months when I did this podcast, I never reported on a Shrewsbury Town win. And they've now, I think this is three in a row now I've done and they've won. And they've beaten Wickham Wanderers away from home at Adams Park. It's a really, really good result. Talking through this game and the future of 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 Bloom of Matt Bloomfield. Yeah, so um I think I'll start with Matt Bloomfield. Uh, I think he is definitely on the hot seat right now. Like, I would not be surprised. It's got to be between him and Gary Caldwell of the next manager to go in the league. I think they, they're in a small form, uh, to put it quite lightly. Uh, they've lost four on a bounce and a winless in their last eight. And considering they made quite a decent start um, to the season... Uh, it's all gone. It's all gone downhill very quickly. Uh, they were on top for large parts of the game and had uh, better numbers mm-hmm. in terms of both possession and attacking chances. But those numbers mean absolutely nothing if you can't find the back of the net. And they paid that price. Um, Shrewsbury took that probably their only real chance of the game. Taylor Perry scoring in the first half, which was too hard uh, for Max Strick in the Wickham net. Luckily, he didn't make any mistakes as bad as his one a week ago against Barnsley. Um, and astonishingly, that was just Shrewsbury's 13th goal of the season. However, they sit 11th in the League One table, which I find that incredible. It, is, it shows just how good the um, the other Matt Taylor is doing in charge of them. And then that's, uh, that's their third win in the last five. And they've got a significant 11-point buffer to the relegation zone. I think a couple of weeks I looked at Shrewsbury as one of the sides that could fall yeah. down into that. And now, I think they're, I mean, they're obviously not guaranteed safety, but 11 points is a quite a big margin. As for Wickham, they could only wish they had that amount as a margin. And they are in absolutely terrible form. Yeah. And now in 15th, and as I mentioned, I think if they don't, they don't win on uh, next Saturday. I think you may see Bloomfield go. And they're playing Derby County away. <laughs> not an easy one, is it? <laughs> no, it's certainly not an easy one against a side that are on a five-game win streak. And I just want to say as well, my favourite start of the season is that, well, providing both Matt Taylor stay in charge of their League One sides, we'll have the Battle of Matt Taylor on April Fool's Day, which I think is pretty cool. <laughs> I just I think that's a nice way to round up the podcast. And that's the stuff I research for, for the listeners at home. That's how much I care about you all. We'll wrap up the podcast there. Charlie, what are your plans for this week? Oh well, I have I've kind of finished university a week early for the semester. Um so I mean if there are any of my lecturers listening, uh, sorry. Uh, I'm just not going back because I've got Accrington away on Tuesday night. Hopefully it actually goes ahead this time. Very, very nice. And Ivan, what about you? Um I've got no football on the agenda this week. I've got my work Christmas party on Friday and I'm down in Cornwall for the weekend. So I'll be keeping tabs on our game against Northampton, but I'm not too hopeful. 
<laughs> and don't worry, listeners, I'll I'll still live in Dublin, and that's okay. To everyone listening at home, make sure to drop us a five star rating if you enjoyed the podcast. It means the world to us. And make sure to tune in on Sunday as we dissect all the weekend results for your wonderful ears once more. Thank you all for listening, and goodbye for now. It's the 90th minute and all your mates around watching your team on iFollow. You've got your McNugget share box on the go. And you know what? Your mates already got booked for double dipping. But then late on, you steal in, grab the last nugget and snatch all three points. Perfect. Why not order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app? Are you in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.